point that I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to have a seat here so I don't get distracted. You know, most people that know me know that I have a problem talking and yapping and not shutting up. In fact, most people that know me tell me, will you please shut the hell up? And then there's other people who pay me to talk really, really fast. So I'm kind of in a contradiction here. But it relieves me to do something that doesn't have anything to do with personal life, my personal issues, things that I've been through, things that I've done. So this is a little difficult for me. I've only done this one at a time in Fresno. And uh, I'm going to attempt it again, so please bear with me. Uh, right out of high school, like most people, I... Uh, well, let me back up a little farther than that. Uh, my earliest memories... I don't have any memories before the age of 12 years old. None whatsoever. My brother's uh, a year, 14 months older than I am, and he has no memory whatsoever from probably the age of 13, before, until the age of 13, no memories whatsoever. Christmas, holidays, nothing, family, pictures, dogs. I can see a picture that I know that it's me, but I have no recollection that that ever took place. And I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I do know that I was raised in an alcoholic home. And I know that that's not what made me alcoholic, but those are my earliest memories. Uh, I remember growing up at a young age thinking, and this was probably, this is old thinking, not my thinking today, but the thinking then was, uh, that I was conceived out of drunkenness. It was an accident. We weren't really supposed to be around. We were a pain in the ass. We were, uh, well, in an alcoholic home, it was, uh, it was very dysfunctional. Let me just say that to, for the beginning. Uh, my earliest recollection was my father, then, uh, my parents divorced. My mother married the next five alcoholics that she met in a row. Uh, within days of meeting them, she'd married And my father had married four, four more times also. So, I think one of the hardest things for me uh, in, in getting clean and sober was stepping out of my comfort zone. And my comfort zone, with that kind of a family life, was uh, living hell. It was, it was miserable. Chaos was normal to me. I remember dating people that were just normal and just wanted to have fun in life. And it was so abnormal to me that I had to do something to change that. It just wasn't comfortable for me. So it kind of made it real hard for me to attempt to get uh, clean and sober. I'm not making excuses. It's just what... Uh, just what happened to me. Uh, being a little lost as a kid, with not a whole lot of family guidance and, and people that really took interest in, in your young lives, uh, I had to find other avenues to entertain myself. And I remember in high school, probably my sophomore or junior year of Bullard High School, as everybody does, I can imagine most people, they experiment or try alcohol or try beer or try other things. Uh, I remember the very first time that I ever drank, it, it took away any insecurities, any fears, and I hear a lot of people saying that, but for the first time in my life, I didn't feel out of place, I didn't feel abnormal, I didn't feel alone, I didn't feel unloved, it was probably the first time in my life that I actually felt alive. I remember as a kid watching uh, men walk down the street with their sons holding hands, and I thought, what's the matter with them? That is, it was just so foreign to me. And that made for a rough start. That made for a rough start. And it made for a rough, uh, rough road to try and get clean and sober. Uh, so once I started, I remember the first the first night uh, I, I worked at a place called Fresno Dotson. It's not there now. Back when the Dotson G210 juice first came out, they had the honeycomb design on the side of them and the hubcaps. It's been a long time ago. Uh, I, I played baseball with this team. And this was when I was a kid. My first experience... 
they were all grown men. I was just a kid in high school, and they kind of took me under their wing, and I played on their softball and baseball team. And after one of the games, they, they won. They were all celebrating, and they took me back to this house. A guy named, that guy's name was Hud uh, Anderson. I, I'll never forget him. He had huge spider web tattoos on his elbows. Uh, he was missing a few teeth, and he ran guard dogs, pit bulls, security dogs for a living. But he was a nicer man as I've ever met. And what he did to me wasn't intentional. But uh, he took me under his wing, and he, he brought me over there to play back the baseball game and uh, offered me a beer. And I was a young kid, and I thought, man, this is really cool. And I noticed everybody at that time was going to the back room for a little while to come back out. And uh, to make a long story short, in that aspect, I think because this is an AV, uh, it was the first time I tried other substances. And uh, it was actually the first time I tried cocaine. And uh, I don't mean any disrespect to A, it's just part of my story. And I spent, I felt so good that night for the first time in my life. I was drinking, I was, I was high. And I spent 28 years trying to get that feeling back. I spent 28 years trying to feel like I felt that night. I'll never forget that feeling. I honestly spent probably the next 10 years trying to find that guy again. I probably in prison, I don't know. Uh, but I honestly spent at least 10 years looking all over Fresno. He wasn't at the guard dog business anymore, security business. But I looked for him for years because I wanted that feeling back again. I wanted to feel good again. Uh, I never ran into him again, but there was a whole bunch of Bud uh, Anderson out there. He wasn't the only one. Uh, I don't think there's anything I haven't yeah. tried other than besides alcohol, and I'll, I'll stick with the alcohol, but as I look back, I have driven drunk so many times and got home like a lot of people talk about in blackouts and wonder, or actually go outside your car's not there, or uh, wake up not knowing where you're at. That was just a way of life for me. That's just what I did. That was so normal. That was just, that's just what we did. And to not have to feel, to be able to love that voice, that emptiness in my, in my chest, uh, I'm 47 years old, and, and I just have about a year and a half. And that'll tell you how long it's taken me to undo some of those things that, that, that became a way of life for me. Uh, Well, you know, I, when I realized, you know, as a kid, my, my grandfather died from alcoholism. My great-grandfather died from alcoholism. And I think the concept when I was younger was that, and, you know, you hear people talk about that, you know, most of our stories, I don't want to say a broken record, but a lot of them have the same insight. I mean, the thanks to the people carrying the brown bags and sleeping on the park bench when you go down to City Hall or downtown Fresno. Uh, those, were the, those were the alcoholics. Those were the people that were... Uh, that were drunks. And so I didn't really see myself as having a disease. Uh, I was raised around it. We had tappers in our living room until I was old to leave the house. Uh, my aunts and uncles had tappers in their living room, pegs of beer in their living room. And so my family, as a kid, we spent every night going to their house and then coming to our house. And that's just what they did. And uh, I remember uh, giving my dad a hard time one time about uh, when I finally realized that this was a disease that I, I possibly inherited a genetic predisposition I gave my dad a really hard time I said I told him this is your fault this is because of you and, he, and one thing he said that I, that I agreed with he said you know that very well 
may be true, but I've been sober for 20 years now, so if you inherited the gene to get drunk, you also inherited the gene to get sober, because I've been sober for 20 years now. And I kind of gave up the fight with my dad at that point. There was, there was nothing left to argue with him about. It was, uh, it was what he was saying. It, you know, it, it worked for him, and it worked for a lot of other people. Uh, the last time I spoke in Fresno, they gave me an, an out, and I wasn't able to speak for 45 minutes. They uh, allowed someone else to take over, but I don't think they have that option here today, though. Uh, I'm sweating already. I'd much rather be selling something to you for an absorbent amount of money. I'm comfortable with that. Uh, You know, I have a lot of alcoholics, and I I tell you my my childhood, not because that's what made me an alcoholic. Uh, As I mentioned, it's just my story. It's just what I went through. It had nothing to do with why I turned out to be an alcoholic. uh, I have a, a disease of alcoholism, and it has nothing to do with alcohol. When I include alcohol in my disease, and I'm, uh, I'm off and running. Uh, it's so nice not to have that miserable, pitiful, and incomprehensible demoralization of my life on a daily basis today. That you know, I go to work laughing, and sometimes uh, the guy that I work with wonders, "What the hell are you so happy about today?" Uh, I'm so happy to be alive today, and I, I know I'm jumping here just a little bit. I, I partied with my brother most of my childhood. We both had the same, obviously the same uh, uh, conditions when we were raised. Uh, uh, a couple of traumatic. I always wonder why it took me so long. I know it takes what it takes to get clean and sober, but I had several layers that I had to work through, and. Uh, I've experienced a couple of traumatic things that happened, and I don't think I've probably shared these before. Uh, uh, I'll just say a family member tried to tried to take her life when I was a kid, when I was about 15. I was just I got my driver's license, so I had to take her to the hospital, and uh, that was pretty traumatic. It's kind of overwhelming as a kid to have those feelings of someone trying to, to commit suicide uh, in my presence, and then having to deal with the aftermath of that, and it caused uh, it caused a lot of chaos in my life. And then shortly after that, I was uh, doing some construction work. Was, you know, when, when you're drinking and, and doing other issues, it was kind of hard to be dependable. So I got into construction trade because you could work for a while and then not work for a while and work for a while. You know, if you were handy with your hands, there was always work available. And you could be able to think consistent in your, uh, in your mannerisms in your daily approach and still find work. Uh, I was remodeling a house out in Centerville. I don't know if you know where that's out. Uh, out on the King River, there's a gravity stick. One of my mother's husbands, we were moving into a house out on the Centerville on the King River, and there was no phones, there was electricity, but no phones or cell phones were popular back then. I don't know if they were around. If they were, you couldn't carry them very far because they were pretty excited. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's I was I was remodeling the house and the guy my mom was going to marry came out and uh, he had a heart attack and died that day and I remember for for a long time after that I, I stayed drunk for a long period of time you know I think the strongest memory I have at that time and it's important because those things that happen I have to heal by talking about uh, when people die of a heart attack it's not like you see on TV they just don't go there and fall over. Uh, and I, I remember, I remember, there was just the two of us there, and it took a long time for somebody else to come out to the house where we were. 
kind of seemed like forever. I don't know how long it was, but it seemed like forever. And uh, a gentleman, Ray, died of a heart attack while I was uh, there with him. And I stayed drunk and high for several years after that. That was a very traumatic experience for me. Uh, it didn't make me an alcoholic, but how I responded to it, how I responded to different issues in my life, uh, are not, probably not, well, I don't say that's not a normal response, but that was uh, pretty rough at the time. But I, I guess my point is that I learned how to not deal at a very young age. Drinking and doing drugs got me out of feeling hurt, pain, chaos. Uh, I've been to a couple funerals recently, and it's been the first time in my life, and I mean in my life, that I could go to a funeral and not have to drink afterwards or drink before because I knew what I was going to feel like while I was there. So those are uncomfortable feelings. Uh, uncomfortable feelings for me going to uh, the places like that. I've actually been to two, and I was actually honored to be clean and sober to able to go and support the people that I knew. Uh, that was a very, a very nice feeling. Uh, you know, I, I've been to, uh, I've been to two inpatient programs, and I've been through three outpatient programs, and, and I drank and used through, through all of them. I say clean and sober out of getting out of a rehab um, was probably probably four or five months, probably longer. I don't remember that I probably damaged a few brain cells during that, that period of time. Um, you know, life is so good that I want to cut to the good stuff. I want to jump. You know, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So excited about what it's like now that I want to tell you about that, but I, I guess I need to, to tell you how I got to that point. Uh, you know, I don't have to. Eddie was here last week, and it was uh, nice. She's, she's told the story before, and it, it, it was nice, and uh, this is kind of new for me, so I'm uh, struggling just a little bit. Uh, I think one of my other earliest memories, uh, things that I remembered then, what it used to be like. I remembered walking around thinking, yeah, I, I guess it was easy to blame other people for what happened to me. I always thought it was everybody else's fault. Uh, I, I gave my family members a hard time for, and I mean no offense by this, uh, I used to tell them that they dumped us into society socially retarded, low functioning skills whatsoever. And you mix, mix that with alcoholism, you have a real handful. Uh, I went out of town recently, and uh, what's that? It's a moral day for a, a week with the family. And a guy was at, a, at one of the speaker meetings, or one of the meetings I went to, he asked, the topic was, why do you go to meetings? And it was instantaneous for me. I had nowhere else to go. All my drinking and using, there was no doors open. There was no doors open. My family didn't want me. They wouldn't return your phone calls. Uh, It was a friend who wouldn't answer your calls. I had a bad, I had a bad habit. My nickname was, uh, back then, was No Show. Uh, I'd look against it to go see somebody or go fishing with a friend or something or, or to do an auction or to do just about anything. And I wouldn't show up. I had the greatest intentions in the world. And uh, being an alcoholic, you know how that could be. Uh, it was a little tough holding some of those, uh, holding true to some of those uh, promises that I made. 
So I, I guess what it was like for me was uh, when I started drinking and, and doing other issues. I don't know if you're like me or not, but when I start, I can't stop. I don't drink for a couple of days and then just decide, you know what, I, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, in 2002, I broke my neck. I got hit by a and cracked the bone and ruptured a, a disc in my neck. And I'm just now coming out of that accident. Uh, I woke up in the hospital with IV to my arms, and I'm just now coming out of that fog. Uh, I didn't go out and buy a bottle. I, I wasn't using when I got hit. I was working for a company for for quite some time. And I woke up with IVs in my arms with some good meds from the hospital, and it's, I'm just not coming out of that fog. So I, I didn't start intentionally, but uh, any any substance or, or, or alcohol that goes in my system, it takes me a long time to be able to stop. Uh, 2002 was quite a few years ago. The time before that, uh, I had a major surgery in, in 2000. Actually, in 1992, I had back surgery. And it took me probably until 98, uh, 99 to stop at that time. There's no example of You know, some people say, well, this time I had a beer. I, was I don't try to convince myself that, uh, that I can have one drink. I know that that's not a possibility for me. I cannot do a little bit of anything. Uh, and as Charlie's mentioned before, my mind like his, it lies to me on a regular basis. It tells me it's okay. Uh, so what it was like was miserable when I started to catch up. I, I, the happiest day in my life was probably when I realized that I have a genetic predisposition. I'm not just an idiot or a spineless guy that doesn't have the willpower to be able to stop doing alcohol or drinking alcohol or doing drugs. And I realized that I'm just not an idiot, but I have a disease that makes it physically and mentally almost impossible when I start to stop. Uh, I remember I remember that day. You know, it, used to, it hasn't been that long ago, but they actually proved that it was a genetic predisposition that you can inherit a gene that makes you uh, well, predisposed, almost impossible to start when you stop. I used to, I used to think, why, you know, why, why do I keep doing this? Why do I get back in the car and do the same thing over and over and over again? I didn't understand it. I had the greatest intention in the world just having one beer with the guys after work on Friday night. And uh, it never, ever, I don't know if it's one time that it ever worked that way. It just doesn't work. I don't know about you, but it doesn't work that way for me. Uh, why I have a driver's license today, why why I'm not in jail or in prison, why I shouldn't be, uh, As much as I don't like coming and talking in front of a group like this, to, to honestly be out of jail, to be uh, able to go to work, to have my driver's license, uh, if this is part of what it takes to be able to continue to do those things, I'll come up here and sweat and stumble and mumble uh, every time you ask me to. Uh, the difference is just so un. You know, and if you're new, it took me a long time to come out of the fall. It took me a long time to be able to start thinking a little clearer. And you know what? I think in the 28 years, I didn't give it long enough for some of the promises to come through, for some of the things that other people have gone through. I don't think I ever gave it enough time to actually start to happen in my life. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times 
And that's my first meeting. Uh, first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in my senior year. Just happened to the gentleman passed away. Uh, my father came to pick me up because he heard I was having a hard time. And, and it was kind of a, it was kind of a funny uh, starting for AA. Back then I wanted to feel important one time. I'm having a, a rough time in my life. And, you know, just chaos and miserable. Relationships just worked. Everything was just upside down. And my dad came to get me to uh, see if he could help. And I remember I researched it. I asked somebody in back then Betty Ford was the place to go. And, you know, here I don't have a pot to piss in. And I tell my dad that's where I want to go. I need to go there. And when he found out how much cost me, that's not going to happen. It's just, we're done talking about that. I had met a counselor that back then she charged, I think, $25 an hour. Back then it was a pretty good hourly rate. And I told him I'd like to go see her on a regular basis. And when he found out it was 25 bucks an hour, he thought, you know, that's, that's not going to happen either. I'm sorry. And he put me in the truck and he took me to the village group on Palm and Shaw and dropped me off at Amy. He said, you can get sober here for free. And back then I thought he was not, I thought he did me a disservice. I thought I had no value in his eyes. And he took me and dropped me out of the place that was free because he didn't want to spend the money to get me clean and sober. And I was angry for a long time with him. And uh, there's a couple gentlemen here tonight from the village group. And um, 28 years ago, he took me to a meeting with Palm and Shaw and dropped me off and said, you know, good luck. Uh, little did I know, at that time, he was going to be the biggest blessing, the biggest favor he could ever do for me. I didn't see it then. And I was still in the fog and angry and head issues. And, uh, it was probably a, a month ago that I actually got to go and speak at the village group. The only other time that I've done this. And my father was in the front row. Uh, in fact, he, he called me last night, and my father celebrated 23 years uh, last Thursday. So, sometimes, times have changed. Uh, they're different sometimes, they're better. Sometimes they're just different. Um, but there's also so 20 years ago, I went to my first meeting of AA. And there's a lot of people actually being clean and sober, and you hear people say all the time, it's, it's not something new that I've come up with. I, I didn't think they were telling the truth, but I was never able to do that. I didn't have the concept of not drinking for a month, two months, three months. I, that was just almost an impossibility. So, I've gotten on how many times I went to that meeting. I've bounced in and out of that meeting for years. I went to a rehab. They sent me back to the village group to go to meetings. The Oxford Family Recovery Group was in Fresno for a little while. Uh, I don't think I lasted a month out of getting out of there, back green again, uh, back to the village group. And it just seems a little funny, 28 years later, uh, to be going back to the village group, they're not on the show anymore, but I'm actually going back to the same meeting. A lot of those people are, are still there. The same people that were there 28 years ago are still are still in that meeting. Uh, when I started to uh, decide that something needed to change, I started going to rehabs to find out what was going on and try to find out what was going on, peeling some of the layers off the onion. I was just lost. I don't know if you've ever had that in your drinking experience or your other issues. I was just lost. I had no idea. I had been uh, in, in a fog for so long that I had no idea what to do, but I knew that I needed something. Uh, I've been out of meetings for a long that a couple of people, one in general, has come up to me and said, oh, it's you again. Uh, it was just a little kind of weird that day. And I've been out of meetings for 28 years. And 
when I started reading the book, actually reading the book, it said I had to have a desire to want to be clean or to be sober. As long as I had the desire, I had a right to come to the meeting. And when this person said to me, oh, it's you again, for once in my life, I have I've always had the desire. I didn't know how to go about it. I didn't, I didn't follow the rules. I didn't do it perfectly. Uh, but at the time, I did it to the best of my ability. And I honestly did it to the best of my ability. Uh, I'm so anxious to cut the good stuff. Uh, I remember, I went to Florida. And I got a speeding ticket driving there because I, I wanted some relief. And I'm, I'm, I'm miserable. I, I can't stand another day of this drinking and being up for a week. And I can't. It's killing me. And I know it's killing me. So I drove the car. And actually, I, I, I kind of thought he'd let me off knowing where I was going, but he talked about a line. You know, who's going to drive the rehab themselves? Uh, and that speeding ticket for doing 100 miles an hour on Calary Lindsay Highway. Why he didn't go my car, I don't know, but he actually let me go with citation and I uh, I went to R. I don't know if you've been there or not before, but they have a, a, a nine point system. Every offense you do something you're not supposed to do, it's three points. Uh, nine points, they ask you to leave. I had six points my first day, I think within the first hour.
and he opened his drawer, and he pulled out a hammer, and he handed it to me, and he said, you know what? Why don't you just start whacking yourself in the head? I'm tired of listening to you already. You know, that's what you've been doing your whole life. You might as well just get it over with. <laughs> hey, thank you, minute for help. And he said, you know what? People have been trying to help you your whole life, and you just keep sabotaging your own success, so just start whacking. And uh, I'll never forget, he handed me the bottom of a, a cardboard with cases of folks used to come in little cardboard trays, and he said, I'll hold this. And he took the tape off his desk, and he threw it across the room, right at me. And I remember making sure it didn't hit me, and he said, I made my point. People have been trying to help you, and all you do is keep blocking everything that somebody's trying to do for you. And it was the first time that I actually shut up and listened to what the guy had to say. And Bob H., uh, was probably one of the instrumental people in getting me to, uh, to not, not kill myself from drinking and, and using. Uh, for example, you know, this, this program, uh, it has some simple suggestions that survival for me was doing what I thought was best, what I thought was what came normal to me, what came natural to me, what wasn't offensive or wasn't out of line. Uh, like at the parson, they ask you to work through the fourth step before you leave. Well, the counselor there had a car that wasn't running, so I worked on his car for him, and he signed off the fourth step for me. He signed off the verse four. So I didn't actually do any work while I was there. My story is actually... It's a better story of what not to do than what to do. I'm just now learning what to do to save myself, to, to become clean and sober. I can tell you for 28 years what not to do, what didn't work for me. Uh, what I didn't do, what I, the suggestions that I didn't follow, the people that offered advice that I didn't take, uh, I have 28 years of that. And it landed me drunk and, and loaded every time. Uh, people have been trying to help. It's funny, I read the big book now and I read things that, where, when did they put that in there? It's been the whole time. I just didn't see. I didn't, perception is everything. They were so glad to see me leave the car center. I have to stay. I stayed the 60 days. And this kind of guy was, I, I didn't want to be there. I was having a conflict with over something. And I found, I know what it was. Uh, they were yelling at us every day about maintaining the house. Because I wasn't good at chores. I don't know about you, but when I was already in recovery, I was undisciplined. And I, I'll tell a little bit about that in a minute. But, you know, I, I didn't clean the house. I, didn't make, I just didn't do anything. I just didn't take care of myself very well. And they were honest every day about chores in the house. You, this is your house. You pay for it. It's a government-run place. You need to take care of it. You need to keep it clean. You need to scrub the wall. You need to vacuum. You need to this and that. Well, I found some repair requisitions one day that if there was anything wrong with the house, they had to submit these to the main house, and you get things fixed. You know, the light wasn't working or the faucet was leaking. Well, being in the construction trade for years, uh, I went through that house top to bottom and found everything was wrong with, with my house. Uh, my faucet was leaking, the paint peeling off the shower, the ceiling of my shower, uh, the seam of my carpet coming apart, and uh, they were so happy to see me go. My God, I was just a, a major pain in the ass survival for me, was deflecting anything from me back on anybody else that was around me. And uh, Bob and I can laugh about that today. Uh, I had this saying, it was funny back then, but not hot, hot funny, you know. Uh, You know, I, I got out of the car, I stayed uh, clean and sober for a while, and then uh, I actually had uh, the next surgery. And getting out of the next surgery, 
Uh, I remember, you know, I, I was going to meetings at the time when I had when I got in a car accident, and I knew that when I got, I knew what was going to happen when I got to the hospital. It happened time and time again when I had broken bones. Uh, I asked somebody in recovery to take the medication because I, I knew I was going to have to take it. I had fused, uh, taken the bones out of my hip and stuck in my neck. I knew I was going to have problems, so I asked somebody in recovery who had numerous years to take care of my medication. And so I thought I had a game plan. I had somebody to take care of the dogs, somebody, I had things in line. And the day that I was supposed to get out of the hospital, this person came to the hospital who was going to assist me and said, I have to go out of state. There's an emergency in the family and I can't do that for you. I'm sorry. And I remember being uh, offended at the time and said, you know what, I'll just do it myself. Don't worry about it. Uh, that was in 03. I, I had cancer in 02 and 03. I had the surgery. And I'm just not coming out of that fog thinking, you know what, I'll just do it myself. I don't need you. I'm uh, self-sufficient. Uh, my best thing is just about killed me. So I stumbled back in and out of meetings. I would get a little bit of time. Uh, anybody that knows me uh, knows my story, uh, knows that my family, part of my family lives in Clovis. And there's an off-ramp on the freeway that I have spent probably 15 years not being able to get past. Uh, my uh, experience in trader in New London is expensive. I drove there almost every day for 15 years. Uh, I sat out like a sore thumb there. Uh, but they like to see me because I got, I brought money every day. For, for 15 years. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how many I'm gonna say. Mother's Day, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter. I probably in 15 years made it a handful of times to those I, I went every year. I attempted to go to the Fresno to blow this bill for those family homes, but I never made it past Trader and New London on the freeway. If the cops were cruising around in Trader, then I would just go to New London and vice versa, and I did that for 15 years. Uh, that's a hard life. That's a hard life. I have drank away so many houses and cars and relationships. And, you know, I used to be just upset because I didn't have a, uh, I've been married, I don't have any kids. Uh, and now I'm kind of thankful that I didn't because I would have just continued that chaos that I, that I experienced and, and I would have wreaked havoc in other people's lives worse than I, I have already. Uh, by, by going to meetings, geez, I've, uh, I've been asking people to sponsor me for 28 years. The only difference was I never called anybody. I never called numbers. Uh, I was a great starter and a very slow finisher. Uh, <laughs> some of those things turned out to be gun shots in the long run. Uh, I'll get to that. Uh, and the simple suggestions that the, the book of AA talks about, the simple suggestions. I have spent my life talking about what I'm going to do telling people what I need to do, what I think I should do, what I'm going to do, and, and I, I've come to the conclusion that uh, recovery in life is an action word. And I, I can honestly tell you I had the best intentions. I had every intention of saying sober for 20. I had every intention of doing that. I didn't want to get to get drunk or to get low. I didn't want to do that. Um, and people offered the tools. I read the tools. Uh, I guess it took a long time for things to get out of my head and actually make it into my heart. And you hear people saying that from time to time. Uh, I was shut down emotionally. I, I could probably read the 12 steps 
They're not looking at the book. I know I'm inside now. Uh, knowing what the book says is not enough for me. I have to apply it to my life. And, and what happened to, to change that for me? Um, two things happened. I always tell I want to mention one of them because, uh, uh, yeah. I'm an auctioneer for a living now. And, uh, I don't know about you, if you've been at auction, uh, most of those are fueled by open bars. Uh, it gets people to spend money. And they spend a lot of it and don't realize what they're doing. Not always. I mean, it's, it's just a fun environment. Well, not everybody has a problem that I have. They can drink and have fun and not spend their whole, their whole life or end up in trader when they're done. Uh, and I had the best intentions for years and years. Uh, I've totaled three cars on the way home from auctions and I had no intention of drinking when I left. Um, I throw a little store, maybe a little whiskey would loosen up my local cord so I could do the auction. Uh, I had every intention of not drinking going to those events, but until recently that I realized what it took to not actually be able to do that. Um, the last time that I went to a, a place to, to do an auction, uh, and I like this story because the guy, that, the guy that's here, people have heard me tell this story before, but the guy that actually uh, was instrumental in that is actually here tonight. Uh, of all things, uh, I, the reason I like this event and why it's so important that this film is here, I've been a big brother for a kid, and this is partly a good story and partly something that, that I have to deal with. Uh, I've been a big brother for 23 years, but I've been sober for almost 16 months, 18 months. Uh, so he got to witness a whole lot of chaos in my life when I drank and did things I wasn't supposed to do. I stayed away from it. Uh, and to be a mentor to some young man and to have that history, although we're good, we're good friends, we always have been, uh, you know, I have some things I'm not really proud of. Uh, so I'm doing an auction uh, in Fresno for Big Brothers Big Sisters. Uh, they call it the 300 Club. There's 300 men that gather once a year to raise money at annual fundraisers uh, for Big Brothers. And all these men are involved directly or indirectly with the program of, of Big Brothers Big Sisters. A lot of them have little brothers that they've, uh, they've mentored. And I didn't take any money that night because I didn't want to drink. I thought, if I don't have any of my money in pocket, I can take my ATM card, there's gas in my car, I can get there. There's no way. Just my luck. And party needs just an open bar. Of course, my vocal cords need warming up a little bit. Bourbon and Seven was my favorite drink. Uh, not really, you know, if you're drinking and using for 28 years, you haven't made a whole lot of close friends. You might have some acquaintances, but they don't know you well enough. I didn't let anybody get close enough to actually know who I was or what I was going through or, you know, that old saying we have, hey, how you doing? Great, how about you? You know, it, it's a crock. It was for me. Uh, and... <laughs> Al in a room, this is, this is a, the miracle of, of recovery. Uh, there's 300 men in the room. Uh, now, I, I haven't had a regular routine of eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner in my past uh, behaviors. So there's all the hors d'oeuvres around at this place. And I'm eating meatballs like no tomorrow. And uh, a gentleman walks up and says, you must be single, huh? And I said, you know, why the hell would you say that? And he said, because the way you're going to those meatballs, that must be dinner for you. And it, it was. It was, um, I hadn't eaten in a while. And I, I'm not sure exactly how the conversation went, but he asked me, what are you washing down with? And, uh, I saw a water, Pepsi, 
that day to the Blue Room. And I haven't been in that Blue Room for, for a long time. 15 years I've been going in and out of that Blue Room. In fact, 10 years previous to going to that Blue Room that night, uh, I went. And I didn't talk. I didn't share. I didn't. I just stumbled in one more time like I've done for 20 some odd years of meetings. And uh, another alcoholic. And this is a miracle of the program. I actually took a simple suggestion that somebody uh, gave me. And I, I took the advice. I needed help. And I went to the Blue Room that Sunday night. And at the end of the meeting, uh, anybody that knows me knows uh, uh, I'm working with Charlie. At the end of the meeting, Charlie walks up me out of the blue and said, listen, you asked me to sponsor you 10 years ago. Are you ever going to call me? And uh, I don't know how you even remember. <laughs> 10 years ago. But I took some simple suggestions from somebody who uh, took an interest in my well-being. I took some advice. I followed that advice. I went. And uh, I, I don't know that I would have asked Charlie that night because I was lost. I was still hurt. And Charlie said, you know, he asked me to sponsor you. Why don't you call me? Let's just get started. And I've been working with Charlie since that day. Uh, the difference in the past, when I read the book, The Twelve Steps, The Simple Suggestions, Calling Somebody, Asking Them What to Think, uh, I wasn't willing to attempt to do that. It's an effort. Uh, people that know me have heard me say this. The same time I started working with Charlie, I had a deaf Australian Shepherd. And if you know my story, I had a couple dogs that died while I was in my disease. They would come up and lost them again, and I would brush them away. A couple dogs died from cancer, and they withered up and died. And I don't have regrets over that. I have a deaf Australian Shepherd now that comes up and wants to play. And the other dog that I would tell them, they see my lips moving, and me saying, you know, in a little while later, don't, you know, get away. And, you know, the dog I have now doesn't give a shit what my lips are saying. She knows when I get off the couch and grab her leash, I'm getting into action. And she doesn't give up regardless of what I say. Uh, I recovered from like that. I told people I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Well, that Australian Shepherd, talk is cheap. When you see me at a meeting, you'll know I'm actually getting active in my recovery. When the dog knows I go with the leash, I'm getting active in, in, in my dog's life. Uh, instead of just saying what I'm going to do, I just show up. When Bill asked, I just showed up. Uh, when Charlie asked, offered some simple suggestions, I, I followed us tonight. Uh, there was a concert. There was supposed to be a concert in town tonight. Some friends came down from the air to go to this concert. We had dinner before. And my first impression was, you know what, I'm going to go to the concert with him. Charlie, here, why don't you come to me for me? I got reminded that, you know, listen, you make commitments. In my old history, I make commitments and then bail on them all the time. Uh, Listen, you made a commitment. Why don't you have dinner with your friends and then come and do what you agreed to do? And, you know, I've I become willing. Willingness for me is the key to, to my sobriety to be able to take simple suggestions from people who have done it a whole lot better than I have, who have uh, a lot more sobriety than I have, uh, time-wise, uh, and emotionally, intellectually, financially, have more sobriety than I have. And by following some simple suggestions when I don't know what to do, I call somebody and ask them, what do you think? Uh, that happened quite a few times in the last year and a half. I'll be driving somewhere, and it's like, I drive, you know what? When I drive past the Traver exit today, I call somebody. Before I get to it, we're on the phone talking. Before you know it, I'm in Kingsburg, and, and I've made it to Fresno again. And I've been doing that for a year and a half now. Uh, when I go somewhere and things are a little out of sorts, there's some alcohol there, there's something that I'm not comfortable with, I'll call somebody and talk about it. The difference is today... I became willing to follow some simple suggestions that are uh, outlined in the 12 steps of, of alcohol and The minute I became willing, uh, 
the minute I became willing, things have happened for the better sometimes. You know, even the rough times today or just opportunities for... My friend Al's got a saying, I would call him be mad as hell about something or somebody, people, places, and things. And his first, first time I heard this, I wanted to wring his neck. He said, you know what, that sounds like a great opportunity for spiritual growth. Not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> what I needed to hear is not what I wanted to hear. Uh, so, uh, Al and Charlie and Jose, you guys have saved my life. And I know you get to keep it by giving it away. Uh, I told Al I promised he wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for our running to each other. And uh, pardon me, I was on my way out. I had enough. I was done. Uh, I had about, I was about at the end of the rope, literally. And uh, because other people are active in their sobriety, it, it allowed me to become clean and sober and, and work my program on a daily on a daily basis. And uh, I, I feel honored to be able to come up and, and talk to Bill. I want to say thank you for having me tonight. And if you're new, you know, for me, I had the desire to want to be clean and sober, and I just kept coming back. Regardless if I made mistakes, if I stood, I had a desire in my heart. I don't want to live like that. I have potential as everybody does. And uh, by not giving up, it's allowed me to, uh, to be here tonight. And I want to say thank you. My name is Glenn. I'm an alcoholic.